Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I'm Mike Pratz, and with me today we have regular old Jacob Avila and a new special spicy treat, Michael Mallon. Spicy. Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So today we're going to go through COVID-19 articles. Now, this is going to be a special edition podcast, namely because these two articles are not that in-depth. They're kind of more overviews that people wanted to get out so that the rest of the world can see how ultrasound can help you diagnose COVID-19 that is taking over the world. So the way this is going to go is I'm going to run through these articles, which are both 20 patients each, talk about some of the most salient findings, and then we're going to just talk about it a little bit. But before we get into that, Jacob, can you give us an idea of why ultrasound is useful? Why are people entertaining this possibility? Why are people all over the world posting videos on Twitter of lung ultrasound in this disease? Well, the main reason I think is because this is just like exploding. I mean, we haven't had something like this, I think, and I wasn't alive in 1918, but I think like the Spanish flu was like the last time that this happened at such a large magnitude so quickly. And we're, we're basically like playing catch up, trying to figure out what are we going to do with this disease? How are we going to diagnose these patients? How are we going to follow these patients and make sure that things are resolving? There is a PCR test, but the PCR test early in the phase of the disease is actually not all that sensitive. And there are other tests, namely CT scans that are available that some people are saying to use as a screening test, which is insane. I get it. We need to diagnose these patients quickly. And I'm not even talking about insane because of the radiation that we're you know, giving these people. I'm talking about insane because the amount of people that we need to go through a CT scanner, like we just don't have the resources, I think, as a as a globe, as a world to be able to adequately use CT scan as a screening test. So we're looking for other ways of doing this. Now, chest x-ray is an option, notoriously poor sensitivity for any kind of pneumonia. So of course, we got to think about lung ultrasound. Now, we have Mike Mellon on the podcast here, but we also recorded a podcast with three Mikes. So Mike Stone, Mike Mellon, and Michael Pratz. And that is on the ultrasound podcast, which is also going to be published around the same time that this one will, where we kind of discuss what we think about this as a whole. Jacob, I heard that similar to Macaulay Culkin, you were going to start a contest to see if people would vote on your middle name being Michael. Is that true? That is true. Um, And now my name is Michael. Michael. Avila. So it's my first name and my middle name. So there's, there's just all mics. That's good to hear. So all that to say, this is a big deal. And this is not, these articles are not typically articles that we'll review, but this is the only data that we have right now. And we have to get this stuff out there. Well, the first article that we're going to talk about is titled a preliminary study on the ultrasonic manifestations of peripulmonary lesions of non-critical novel coronavirus pneumonia. This one was from Qian, China, and that's about 800 kilometers from Wuhan. This one was published February 26th, 2020. Um, And the main findings on this article, this actually was a pretty good study. They retrospectively looked at all the lung ultrasounds that were done on 20 patients with confirmed COVID-19 
in a single hospital. They all had to have an epidemiologic history, infectious symptoms, and positive testing, either blood or respiratory testing. Now they do identify these as non-critical patients, a little unclear what they meant by that because they don't say they excluded anyone in particular here. They used both a convex curved array probe and a linear probe, and they do mention that they inf disinfected their probes with 75% alcohol solution. Their protocol, both, both of these articles used a 12-zone lung protocol. So that's the way they divide it is anterior and posterior axillary lines. They made anterior lateral and posterior areas, and then upper and lower in each of those. So six zones per side. And who did these scans? Two physicians with more than five years of ultrasound experience. Here's what they found. A couple important findings right off the bat. What part of the lungs were involved? Well, it's mostly going to be your posterior and your lower areas of the lung. So it looks like for both the right and left, in about 75% of cases, the posterior lung was involved, and the posterior upper was about 50%. Now, there were some other findings as far as what this disease looked like on lung ultrasound, and they kind of characterize the percentage. A little disclaimer here, some of these numbers were only found in the abstract, and some of them were in a table, and there was a little bit of confusion about what the real numbers were. So I'm going from what I take them to mean from some of these calculations. Discontinuous or continuous slash fused B lines were pretty common. They were about 40%. Plural line abnormalities, you'll actually see those in about 15% where it's just not smooth or rough. Then you get subpleural consolidations, 20%. Air bronchograms, about 15%. Localized pleural effusions were about 10% or maybe 20%. And this is different from regular pleural effusions. You'll actually see that most of these patients don't have pleural effusions, but we're talking about a little bit of fluid around some of those lesions that you see in the subpleural area. Which I think is actually important because um, most pulmonary pathology. Um, when I think infectious, when I think cardiogenic pulmonary edema has pleural effusions, right? And this is saying, which is, which kind of, um, matches up with other viral pneumonias, really no actual pleural effusions, like at the bases of the lungs. Additionally, like this all makes sense. I mean, the lower lobes, which are the posterior parts, um, that is most of the meat of the lungs. So that's where most pneumonia is going to be. And that's why they did the 12 zone, right? Because, they didn't just do anterior lung zones. They did anterior and lateral and posterior, which you can't do a good lung examination unless you've done the posterior. So I like that this study did that. One thing that really frustrated me about the study, um, not to poo-poo it, I'm, I can't stand it when they report things in terms of um, a, a percentage of the number of zones involved. I don't treat zones of the lung. I treat, I treat patients. So it, like the fact that it showed up in 15% of all zones that were looked at, they, they talk about like what, 240 total zones. So 15% of 240, isn't that helpful if, if 15% happened in, you know, 70% of people that rather than zones, if that makes sense. So it, it's, it's frustrating because I, I'm not as interested in like what you found in each zone. And as a percentage, I'm interested in what you found by patient. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really good point. They were probably trying to kind of dice up this data a little bit since they only had 20 patients. I'm trying to increase that in a little bit. So instead <laughs> yeah, of 20, it's so. 240. Oh, all right. We got an yeah, N of yeah. 240. All yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's where they're going with that. Yeah. Yeah, interestingly, the other findings they noticed were some pleural thickening 
and they also looked at the Doppler signal in these peripheral lesions they were seeing and found that there was very little Doppler signal. So they looked at that in 54 patients, and 50 out of 54 had very low, poor blood flow in these lesions. So interesting. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, they do note that ultrasound did miss some lesions that were intrapulmonary or apical. And remember, if it's not close to the periphery of the lung, if it's not close to the pleura, ultrasound's not going to be that good at picking it up. So compared to CT, they could see that some of those lesions were missed. This article, you should definitely take a look at it because there's about 40 figures just comparing ultrasound to CT, and you can really see the differences between them and, most importantly, the similarities. Ultrasound actually seems pretty good compared to these patients that got CTs. Now, the second paper came out just a few days later, March 12th, findings of lung ultrasonography and novel coronavirus pneumonia during the 2019-2020 epidemic. And of course, we'll have links to both of these articles in the show notes. This one's a lot shorter article, so it doesn't really tell exactly who these patients were, what was going on with them. It's just a letter. I don't know if we've ever reviewed a letter, but like I said, I mean, this is like important stuff to make sure that people are seeing so that we can get more data, basically. Desperate times call for desperate articles. Yeah, desperate times. So this article also used a 12-zone method. And this was actually coming from, a, it looked like a couple hospitals. At least the authors were from a few hospitals. Unclear where the patients were, but this could be anywhere from 350 to 1,100 kilometers away from Wuhan, where things kind of went down originally. Their findings were very similar to the others. Thickened plural line, irregular plural line, B-lines, both focally and confluent, some of those consolidations. And they noticed here that they, the patients developed A-lines once they started to resolve. So what this paper added to the prior paper is that now we have a little bit an idea of the changes temporally. So early on, it seems like they're getting focal B-lines and maybe in the mild infection, that might be all you see. Then as it develops, you get more of these consolidations. And as they get sicker, you're going to see more of that kind of pneumonia type lung appearance. Um, and then once you resolve, goes back to A-lines, which would reflect a pretty normal lung. What's a waterfall sign? They talk about like a waterfall sign. I don't think I've ever heard that before. I think the waterfall sign is when it's basically just all the B lines that come together um, from a, from like a skip lesion. So it looks like a waterfall. Exactly. Right. So instead of just a, like multiple, you know, multiple B lines coming from the plural line, you basically just have one giant wide B line um, and then skip lesions on either side. That's, that's my, that's my understanding. The other interesting finding that I hadn't heard of before, not just air bronchograms, but air bronchiolograms. Dude, I thought that was a typo. Well, I think they mention it in different spots where they have both air bronchograms and air bronchiolograms. I mean, it's easy to imagine if you can have air in the bronchus, you can have them in the bronchioles, but I just had not seen that described in prior papers. That's a high, high frequency linear transducer right there. That is not a microconvex. 20 megahertz. (laughs) So some of the limitations that we just should mention, these articles are put out pretty quickly and at least one of them was not very peer reviewed and we mentioned the other maybe just a letter. So um, you have to take this with a grain of salt, but it's also the only published evidence we have. So it's probably uh, slightly higher on the evidence pyramid than uh, people tweeting out their experiences. 
I think what it does tell us is that in these 40 patients, at least we have an idea of some of the findings that are occurring, and it seems to kind of go along with some of the CTs that have been done in these patients. But what do you guys think of this evidence? Anything else jump out at you or anything surprising, interesting? My, my take home from these articles is, is one, um, COVID looks a lot like other viral pneumonias. As far as we can tell, it looks almost exactly like other viral pneumonias. Um, two, it's often bilateral. Uh, that was, I think, a helpful aspect from that first article. Um, so, you know, expect to see expect to see lesions on both lung fields, likely posterior, likely posterior inferior. Uh, and then three, I think those images of the CT scans compared to the ultrasound images were excellent. Those are definitely worth looking at. If you even if you don't read the article, pull up the pull up the article, which I'm sure you guys will put in the show notes and take a look at those images just to familiarize yourself with what exactly you're looking for in actual real patients who have a diagnosis of COVID. That's a really good point, Mike. I think a lot of people prior to this probably just weren't doing ultrasound for pneumonias or viral infections. It's probably a lot more common in pediatrics, actually, where they are more used to trying to evaluate for pneumonia and finding these viral signs. And if you haven't been doing that, you this may seem like totally out of the blue, but these findings have all been reported before in a lot of different viral illnesses. The pleural thickening, have you ever measured the thickness of the pleura before hearing about this? No, but it's like, there is like a number out there. Um, but I remember I talked with um, Volpicelli about it and the whole like, the problem with that is that the that white thing that we're seeing is not actually the pleural line. It's just like, I mean, that bright white line is actually air, right? It's that bright white line is not actually lung pleura. It's actually the air that we're seeing that's right at the edge of the lung pleura. So that like thickened pleural line is technically not the pleural line. It's just air that we're seeing that's a little distorted differently than we normally see it at the edge of the pleura. Um, so that kind of like esoteric kind of thought aside, basically I just eyeball it. If it looks thicker than normal, then I'm going to assume it's thicker. If it looks like regular then it's regular that's super unscientific but that's kind of how i look at it they've got a um a good image of it figure 24 is actually a pretty good image of a thickened pleural line and exactly like what you're saying jacob the the white line is not what they're measuring they're measuring basically kind of like the the sort of like grayish blackish line (laughs) above where you start to see the air but yeah i personally have never measured the pleural line before and i'm I'm not sure that i've found any utility in it previously so it's kind of interesting it seems like the authors of these two articles are kind of just putting out there like here are some things that we saw and you know kind of reporting every little abnormality that they noticed which i think is helpful early on Mm-hmm. So that we, when we see those things, we can know that it has been associated with COVID-19 in the past. Now, remember that not all the patients that had COVID at these places were scanned. So there could be some spectrum bias. We don't really know were these really sick, were these unsick, early, late. There's not a lot of information on who these patients were and what was going on with them clinically at the time. A lot of these operators were pretty familiar with lung ultrasound. It sounded like they'd been doing it for a while. And we, of Mm -hmm. course, don't know how accurate point-of-care ultrasound is going to be for the diagnosis of COVID. These are not diagnostic accuracy studies. These are kind of just reporting these are our findings on these very few patients that we've assessed so far. So I don't think that at this point this is at all evidence that we know ultrasound is 
accurate for it. I mean, it seems to line up with some of the CT findings, but it may be a little bit early to hang your hat on just doing ultrasound at this point. Do you guys see any possible role for ultrasound in the workup of these patients or the management? I think it just like depends on how you're utilizing it. So I, there's many different ways that you can use this. One of them is maybe you're an ICU doctor, maybe you're up on the floor and you want to know, hey, my patient feels the same. I want to know how do their lungs look? Sometimes it's impractical. I mean, I say all the time, it's impractical to take your patient to the CT scanner every day to see lung progression. So I imagine ultrasound being useful for that. The other way it could be used is potentially as an actual screening tool. So you have a patient has respiratory distress and you see them um, early on in their stay, maybe in a special triage room. Um, they have cough, they have fever, um, they have shortness of breath. You scan their lungs and they have a bunch of beelines, a waterfall sign, supplemental consolidations. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this guy has a very high suspicion for COVID. And you go down one pathway versus you have the same symptoms on another patient. You scan their lungs and you're like, you know what? I don't see any abnormalities in the lung. This guy can go home. Um, so basically it just depends on what you need. Um, the ultrasound might be useful because, you know, it's a tool in your toolbox and an arrow in your quiver. I'm interested to see if there's any, um, any relation between ultrasound findings and severity of illness or, or disease progression. I think that um, that's something that's going to be hard to get at from, from data in the near term. Um, but hopefully we can talk to some of our colleagues in, in Europe who are, who are get, unfortunately getting inundated with this right now and find out if, um, if they've had much experience with that. Um, that's, you know, sort of a secondary thing that would be a great question for the, these authors of these Chinese papers that you guys have. Um, certainly something that I don't think is necessarily going to have strong literature behind it. Um, but if we could get a sense of, you know, patients with lung findings and fever and elevated CRP and such and such are more likely to progress and, and have worsening disease. That would be very helpful from a, um, from a triage standpoint of discharge versus keep in the hospital, obviously. Right. Um, so I, I think there's probably lots of different ways that we're going to see ultrasound being used specifically for COVID in the, in the coming weeks. Um, I think a lot of that is going to depend on how truly bad this gets and how overrun our systems get. The more overrun they get, I suspect the more ultrasound, more point of care ultrasound we see getting used on a regular basis. Brilliant points, guys. So let me just summarize these studies. So we have two studies on using lung ultrasound in COVID, total of 40 patients from China. The POCUS findings seem to correlate with CT, and they might include things like consolidations, beelines, pleural irregularities, or thickening. Obviously, we have to be a little bit careful with this literature that's so fresh, but at least this is a start. So take-home points from these two articles. POCUS is possibly a good idea in a suspected COVID-19 patient. It could be useful to help track disease progression. Unclear at this point how you might use it to diagnose a patient with suspected COVID. And the findings can be pretty much anything, and we've seen these same findings in other viral illnesses. So thanks so much to Mike for joining us for this special podcast. And thanks to the authors of these papers for getting this together and putting it out there for the rest of us to learn from. I think it's so valuable in this time that we can all kind of collaborate and share knowledge because we're all going to be going through this together. So thanks for continuing to listen to our podcast. If you want to find out more, you can go to ultrasoundgel.org. Don't forget to check out the other COVID ultrasound 
podcast on coreultrasound.com. You can also talk to us on Twitter or visit our Facebook page. We would be more than happy to talk to you. Until then, we'll talk to you later. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Ultrasound Gel Podcast.